Hallelujah. I thank God for this opportunity to be here to share God's word with you. And it's a privilege um, I, to be here with you this morning um, to fellowship with the youth. And it's such a blessing to be here. I would want to take this opportunity to thank the leadership of the youth ministry and the executives of the youth fellowship for this privilege. And most importantly, to thank the head pastor and the leadership of the church for this privilege to come and minister during the youth week celebration. I am very grateful. God bless you. Shall we pray? Our Lord and Master Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Nothing is hidden before your eyes. You have authority and dominion over all power and rulership. Lord, this morning we are pondering on the issue of expressing love. I pray that you will take preeminence, O God, over our deliberations. Minister to your people and meet them at the point of their need. Father, most importantly, the subject that we'll be discussing, I pray that you will bring clarity to your people. May you be exalted and may you be glorified. I pray that you will hide me behind your cross and you will be exalted. Help me not to say anything that is not helpful. May I say that which will edify and build your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So I thank God once again sharing this with you and I've been hearing a lot about peace and many blessings. So peace and many blessings. We thank God. I wanted to get it right, so I called Andy to be sure. So I would say covenant family, and nothing will happen. So I thank God for your response. I'm talking on the theme, expressing brotherly love. And they want me to look at reaching out to people of other faiths. And interestingly, they chose the subject of reaching out to the new age. And if you like... Muslims. This is not a subject that you, you easily treat on a normal Sunday service. It, it can be very heavy. And so what I'm going to do is that I'm not going to deal with the issues of the New Age movement in detail. Um, I wouldn't go into their philosophical underpinnings and all that. That wouldn't be necessary for a Sunday service. What I will try to do is that I will speak basically about three things. I will talk about love, And love being the main thing that should propel us to share the gospel with others. Then I will go into talking about sharing faith with people of other faith, if you like, New Ages and Muslims. And on that, what I would basically do is to try to highlight, if you like, give a description or a definition of what it is, um, highlight some key features or characteristics, and then how we need to engage with them, basically. So basically, that is what... I intend to do. But talking about a subject of this nature is so important such that we are living in the times the Bible would describe as the end times. And as First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 5 clearly states, and I read, Now the Spirit expressly say that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Amen. When you look at our religious landscape in Ghana, you would realize that there are many charlatans in the system parading themselves as angels of light. And it makes even it's more difficult for believers to stand up for their faith because sometimes you don't want to own up. And the moment you talk about the fact that you are a Christian, it's like you are shaking in one way or the other and you don't know what is going to happen next. So most, most people are shying away, but we don't have to shy away. I mean, when you have something that is worthy of commendation, you put it out. And when... The true faith meets the counterfeit. People know it. And by your conduct, by your deeds, by your actions, it will show. 
if you truly believe what you profess, it will become evident. So we are not to be afraid. And that is the reason why I think it is more important for us to talk about this. But most importantly, we have to realize that it is the love of Christ that should be the driving force. That should be the driving motivation. There are many of us believers, we don't care about sharing the gospel because we think we are okay. We have been saved. We don't see the need to commend it to others. But when you look through the scriptures right from the Old Testament, you see many instances where people go to talk about the good news. There was a time in the history of Israel where they were under Assyrian oppression. And the whole city was taken under siege. And men and women kept their cells until they ran out of food. And then Assyrians were waiting, trying to take them captive. To the extent that women were killing their children for food. Now there were lepers also who were also in that town. Now they were considered as outcasts. Now, these guys decided that, look, when we remain in the city, we will die. When we go to the Assyrian camp, we will die. So all die, be die, right? So they decided that it's better we go to the Assyrian camp and see what will happen. And as the Lord will have it, as they were going, the Lord magnified their footsteps. And in the ears of the Assyrians, they were, they were hearing like chariots coming, and so they fled leaving all their goods, their booties, and food and everything. Now, these lepers had access to abundant food. And what did they do? They started eating to their full. They started packing the gold and other, other, other goods. Then they remembered. They said, what are we doing here? We can't keep all these things to ourselves. Let us go and tell others so that they will come. So they went. To, uh, that is the good news. The good news is to announce to others that you have found something worthy of commendation. And you cannot hide it. You cannot keep it. You understand? If you see the depth of Christ's love and what he has done for us, you cannot keep quiet than to tell. You cannot hide it. Look at the Samaritan woman who had an encounter with Jesus. After her encounter, she went to the town proclaiming to all others. She said, come and see, I have met a prophet, a man of God who has told me everything that I've ever done in my life. When the man who was possessed with the legion of demons was delivered, he wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, go and tell what God has done for you. And we are told that he went to the Decapolis, that is ten cities, and he preached the gospel to people who have never heard about Jesus. And what was he telling them? He was telling them what Christ has done for him. Many of us, we are satisfied. We are okay. Very selfish believers. We don't share the good news. We keep it to ourselves and we don't want to talk about it. But if you truly love and you want to express God's love, then it is imperative that you share the gospel with others. Love is the foundation of our weakness. Why? This is for three reasons. The first is that it is the first witness of God to us. In fact, 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 almost looks like John chapter 3 16. But this is what 1 John 3 16 says. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. It is critical. God first gave his only begotten son to die for us. This is God's first witness to us. And we also ought to tell people about Jesus Christ. The second point is that it is a command given us by Jesus Christ to love one another. It is not a suggestion. I believe that there are many who are in the military here, so they understand what it means to command it is a command given by Christ. John chapter 3, 13 verse 35 says that, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. But most importantly, when you read the verse 34 and 35, this is what he says. He says that, 
a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another. A new commandment. It is totally new. It says, a new commandment I give you. And showing love to others actually shows that indeed we are Christ's disciples. No wonder in Acts chapter 11 verse 26, where they were first called Christians, Bible says that when they saw their life, they called them what? Christians. Their lives were patterned after that of Christ. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught in a, in a, a, taught it a great many, taught it to a great many people. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Their lives looked that like that of Christ, and so they were called Christians. So the point I'm making is that love should be the driving force, the motivation to share the gospel. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the scriptures makes it clear. It says, and this is how God demonstrates his love towards us, that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died. You see, whenever you interpret love in the lenses of God, it changes your paradigm. It changes your perspective. Christ did not require for you to be sinless before he died for you. Why are you shying away from the brother who is very critical of your faith and your Christianity? Why don't you talk to that sister about Christ? You see, some of us, we are happy. We are, we are okay when people get to hell because we think it serves them right. They have enjoyed all the things in this world. We have none. So we are jealous. But you see, whether you preach to them about Christ or not, there is a scripture, there is a parable Jesus tells, which for me is very scary. He talks about someone who has a vineyard and he invited workers. And many people came in at different times. So some came very early in the morning. Some around getting to mid-afternoon, others came late in the evening. They were all paid the same wages. For me, the, the interpretation of that is that the blood that Christ used to purchase all of us is the same. Same for the rich person, the poor, the middle income, and what have you. It is the same. But you see, be careful. He says that those who are first will be last. And those who are the least would be what? We become first. It is scary. It is very scary. Many of us, we might be sitting in God's house and we will miss it because others will come because you think you are okay. If we truly love, then there are three implications for us. The implication of love is three. The fact that I respect you, meaning that you are a unique individual I'm not going to exploit you. And I am going to do the best that I can to understand your personality and live with you and love you and see you the way God sees you. That's the first thing, to respect the individual because they are image bearers of God. What does that also mean? It means that we care. We care. And if we care, what that means is that when it, it comes to not, you are prepared to sacrifice to promote the interest of others above your own. But then it also means that we become responsible for you as well. So we are, we are, we are concerned about your well-being. When you err, we have to correct you in love. Because the scripture says that God chastises those whom he does what? He loves. So I need to tell you that, brother, this way that you are going is not right. Turn away from it. But I have to do it in love. Not that I want you to be ashamed of it. This should be the driving force if we indeed want to reach out to people of other faiths. Because they are not really looking at what we say we believe. They are looking at how we live it. Someone says that there are five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The fifth one is you. Many people don't get to read those four. They read the faith one because they want to see how you live your Christian life in the public arena. And that is very important. And so if we intend to reach out to the new ages, these are the things that should motivate us. If you don't have it, pray to God to give you that love. 
Consistently, you find in the scriptures that Jesus, whenever he saw the crowd, he said he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And indeed, he cared. He fed, he met both their spiritual and physical need. He preached the word of God to them and he realized that these people are hungry. There is no way they can get to the other part of town and get food. So he fed them. But Jesus was more concerned about their soul than giving them bread. Because in Acts chapter 6, they will follow him again. And he tells them that you came not because you want to hear the word of God, but because I gave you bread. And he says, I am the bread of life. And when he has given them a hard teaching, they said, who, who would believe, who will follow this kind of teaching? They all left. Then he asked the disciples, would you also leave? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Eternal life. Amen. So it is very crucial. It is critical. Amen. Now talking about the new age. Basically, what is, what is it? If you want to reach out to the new age, what is it? It is interesting because some of these things have crept into the church. And um, in Africa, it's, it's not so clear. It's there. But if you like, in the West, it's, it's very clear. And some of them has a semblance of Christianity. Amen? The New Age is not a single organization. It's basically a network of individuals brought together in common interest. They have common interest in the occult and pagan beliefs, basically. Now, what are their specific features? They are accepting of all religions, even though they favor Eastern religion, and it's, and this features prominently in their spirituality, right? So, you don't have any exclusive religion, per se. Everyone is welcome, right? None is above or superior than the other. So you realize that quickly you will find that your Christianity is shaking within that because Christ, all roads does not lead to Rome as far as Christianity is concerned, right? Christ makes exclusive claims that none of those other faiths make. Are you with me? Because he says this in John chapter 14 verse 6. He says that I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he goes on to live his life in such a way that none of the other founders of the so-called faith stand up or measure up to the standard of Christ. He is above. He is par excellence over all of them. But then you will realize that within the new age, they have admiration for the person of Jesus, primarily they admire him for being a good teacher and because of his miracles, but not for his salvation. No. They don't accept the salvation of Christ. And then they are involved in such practices as extra, extra sensory perception, telepathy, clairvoyance, astral projection, channeling, astrology, psychic healing, transcendental meditation, and yoga. And I believe that many of you have heard about yoga and there is Christian yoga and all manner of things. I mean, the, the, all you need to do is attach Christian and we are fine. We wouldn't even waste time to search. We are not like the Berean Christians to find out whether whatever we are being introduced to is in sync with the scripture. We care less. Even songs, we don't pay attention to the lyrics. So long as there is God, we are fine. But if you, if you subject many of the gospel songs to scrutiny, they are not gospel songs. They don't measure up. We need to be careful. We live in, the times that we live in are dangerous and we need to be awakened. We've been sleeping for far too long. So what do they believe? As far as God is concerned, this is what New Ages believe. They believe God is an impersonal conscience or a force a divine essence that is inseparable from the earth and the universe. They themselves are part of God. So they espouse the belief that there is a God within you and you are not separate from, you don't need God because there is a God within you. So you are a God. So God 
is nothing to them because that is what you are. When it comes to truth, they believe that truth is subjective, is relative, is intuitive. And as far as truth is concerned, experience is the test of spiritual reality. And what that also means is that they don't believe in written revelation. So in other words, your Bible is nonsense to the new ager. He doesn't, it's not on the same um, singing on, on the same um, hymn sheet with you. They claim that the Bible, I mean, they claim that the Bible is God's revealed truth are barriers to spiritual awareness. Right? So these are some of the things that they believe. And as far as salvation is concerned, for new ages, they believe that there is no such thing as sin and death. They are an illusion. It does not exist. It's an illusion. You enter into another realm, another dimension of existence, but you are not really dead. You have become something else, right? There is no need for a redemptive act of God in Christ because if there is no sin, there is no death, then you don't need Christ. Now, there is a contradiction here because they believe in karma. This is where the contradiction lies because the karmic law, it's, it's the belief that if I do things in this world which is bad, I would repeat coming into the, this world through reincarnation until I have paid for my bad deeds. So, it, in a sense, there is a certain belief of evil then. So, why do you have to go through karma to make atonement or, if you like, to, to, to cater for your bad deeds in order for your good deeds to happen? That is the contradiction. But most importantly, there are also people who are very genuinely concerned about our society and crimes. They are concerned about, you know, poverty, hunger, inequality, and all that. And they believe that the solution to such a problem is basically through a period where we would enter into a state of God consciousness and that will usher us in, into the new age of enlightenment, which will bring prosperity, peace, and harmony to all. So those are the things that they believe in as far as new ages are concerned. Now, the point is, how do you interact with people of this nature? How do you share? The, they are human beings. You understand? The thing is that people have questions in the church but we don't have answers for them. And we don't encourage people to ask questions. Sometimes we discourage people from asking questions. And that in itself creates a problem because a person feels like I'm becoming too critical of the church. People would think of me as some way. But they, they have a vacuum there. Something is nudging them. And when they meet someone who is able to give some plausible explanations and seem to echo their sentiments, which they are unable to utter in the church, they, they, you realize that gradually they flow with that person because they are bringing a certain kind of spirituality. And I believe there are many Christians who believe that why even bother to witness to other people? We are all worshiping the same God. Eventually God will decide. So, so why? Why bother? Aren't you worshiping the same God? You know, why, why go witness to Muslims? Amen? But if someone had not shared the gospel with me, I wouldn't be here. Because my name tells you that I have a certain background, isn't it? Okay. So, you can do it well for Jesus, right? Yes. Because I know whom I have believed, and I know that he is able to save, and he saves to the uttermost. Are you with me? And the person who shared the gospel with me, I wasn't critical, because God was already working on me. And today, I share, because of what I have come to witness. So don't shy away from people like that. If you don't know the answer, go and do your research, and, and, or, or direct the person to a pastor or someone who is interested in such questions, right? Now, in sharing the gospel with people of this nature, what do we do? 
one, you need to present God as a person. God is not an impersonal force. He is a person. You need to present him as a person and let them know that he exists. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently do what? Seek him. He exists. He does not only exist, but he exists eternally. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28, he says that have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faint nor is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. God exists eternally. He is everlasting. But also let them know that God possesses the qualities of a person. He loves John chapter 3 verse 16, first John chapter 4 verse 8. He speaks Genesis 28 verse 15, first Samuel 3 9. He has wisdom and knowledge. He acts as well. Present God as creator. God didn't just do things in a haphazard manner. He is the creator. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, we know that he's an all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God that created the universe. Not only that, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we know that he objectively planned the world and executed his creation as an act of independence of himself. So it's not like God, God is the earth. It is, it is not like that. He exists independent of his creation. Because they hold the view of, New Ages hold the view of oneness. You know, there is, there is a certain oneness, and that oneness, that is God. So the earth is God. The tree is God. The water is God. That is not, that is not so, biblically. Present God as an objective reality. God reveals himself to human beings in three ways. He's an objective reality. So present him as such. And he, he reveals himself in three ways. One, through his creation, through his word, and through Jesus Christ. That is how God reveals himself. No one has revealed God to us, but who? But Christ. That is why he was bold in, 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 in John chapter 14 when they were asking him to show that. He said, as you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said, I've been with you all this while, and you ask me to show you the Father? As you have seen me. It's bold statement. It's not like I'm suggesting to you that I'm, I'm, I look like the Father. You know, it, was, it wasn't a suggestion. He told them. And indeed, on his, before they crucified him, the last word from the high priest, Caiaphas, was that, are you the son of the blessed one? And when you read Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, he said, I am. The very name that God gave Moses, he says, when I go to the Israelites and they ask me, who sent you? He says, send them, tell them that I am that I am sent you. And he says, and immediately look at the reaction of the high priest. He tore his garment and said, what else do we have to say? He has blasphemed. He is claiming to be what? To be God. And the punishment for that blasphemous act was to do what? Was to crucify him. That was the basis because he says that there were many who bore false witness of Jesus Christ. So he had to question the man himself and he put it to him. Are you God? And he says, I am. Present salvation as an act of God who intervened in space and time to redeem us from our sins. It is very important. Present salvation as such. And there are many scriptures that point to this fact. Sin is everything that is against or fails to conform to the character of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 to 18. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 to 5. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 and 6 and 10. And in every aspect of our human lives, our conduct in itself reveals sin. There is sin in our lives. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, he says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can understand our heart? Only God can redeem us. 
Every act of ours, we, we reveal our sinful nature, even our conscience. It is very important for us to understand it this way. And so when you're talking about these things with new ages, be mindful of this. But there are a few things that you don't have to do. What are the don'ts when you're talking to people of this nature? The most important thing is that don't attack with Bible verses or condemn practices which are at the heart of their beliefs. You see, it's like a beauty context. If you say you are beautiful, present yourself. Let's examine your beauty and make our judgment. But sometimes we go on the offensive. But our guiding principle should be 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and what? And respect. Verse 16 says that keep what? Keeping a clear conscience. Beloved, you don't have to be insulting of other people's worldview to make yours unique. That in itself is a defeatist approach to witnessing. It is. You don't have to do that. And you realize that throughout the scriptures, particularly in Acts, God deals with such tendencies. Look at, look, at, look at the way Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, God added to their number. In Acts chapter 4, they kept preaching about the name of Jesus and they were even hindered not to preach about the name of Christ. And they went on preaching boldly. In Acts chapter 6, we see Stephen defending the faith to the point of death. In Acts chapter 7, he's executed. And we see Paul taking letters to pursue them. In Acts chapter 8, we find Philip in Samaria sharing the gospel. And many things happening there in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 9, we see Paul encounter Christ. And from there, he moves to Damascus to share the gospel. Acts chapter 10, we see how condemning Peter's Jewish background was going to prevent him from ministering to the Gentiles. The whole, a whole household, including army generals, in one day, all gave their life to Jesus because of one man, Cornelius. God had to intervene and deal with Peter's prejudice. And, and this issue did not end until Acts chapter 15 when they had to meet the Jerusalem Council to settle the issue of Gentile believers. You don't have to condemn because you never know that that individual that you look at as the devil incarnate. When they turn to Christ, they will shame you. You don't have to. Your goal is to positively and patiently and humbly witness for Jesus Christ and the gospel. That is what you are seeking to do. That is what, if love is your main driving force, you don't see people as objects of evangelism. And you see, our evangelism does not work because we don't connect to people. We don't connect. They are not your friends. So it makes the thing so mechanical. As soon as you begin to want to share the gospel, the person is suspicious because you have not built friendship. But if you had built friendship and you have been praying for the person in your closet, looking for opportunity, God will create it. And it makes it easy. It makes it very easy for us to share. You invite the person over lunch, let's go for lunch. As you are eating, you know, you are, you are trusting God that something, God will open a door for the gospel to be shared. It's, it's natural. It's not like, I want to share the gospel with you eh, at lunchtime. Say, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And every day he wouldn't have time. But who doesn't like free lunch? Come for us to have lunch. It's, it's easy. Oh, I'm attending a program. You see, when you build friendship with people, it's easy to invite them to church programs. And God might reach them there. And you'll be amazed what will transpire from there. Avoid, thank you. Avoid the use of theological terms or Christian jargons. Sometimes people don't even believe in your Christianity in the first place. 
And then you go telling them that, you know, one of the, we need to, we need to refine our evangelism strategies because sometimes the first question in an evangelism, someone will ask someone is that, are you saved? And that, that, in, that, that, in, that question in itself can put the person in a defensive mode. What do you mean by am I saved? You know, but there are many ways to begin a conversation. So certain jargons must be dropped. You know, you are a sinner. You need to be sanctified. <laughs> See, God has sent his son Jesus Christ as a propitiation for our sin. And, and without him, no atonement can be made to appease the wrath of God. What is that? Drop it. Use a simple language that the person understands. Use illustrations, analogies that they can easily connect. Because sometimes they don't believe in these things. It is only when they have come to the faith and you are discipling them that some of these things gradually. You didn't understand propitiation, atonement and all that in one day. Pastor has been doing midweek teaching service over and over before you got there. You understand? We need to be patient with people. And you see, for, for new ages, they have been practicing and courting all manner of powers. So don't match spiritual experiences with them. Because they have the things, extrasensory projection, healing, and all that. So it doesn't, it doesn't work. And sometimes, you see, when you listen to someone's story, your personal testimony is a powerful evangelistic tool. But sometimes we listen to the person's story and you realize that God has saved you from a similar situation. And you have no other gospel to preach than to share the testimony. They cannot resist it. And you see, when they see their transformed life, they want to know this Jesus that you have. It is very important. So those are some of the things that we shouldn't do. But the things that we ought to do is that be sure to know something about their beliefs. At least know something. Read a bit about them. Know what they believe, what they do, and all that. Seek to make an objective presentation of God's truth from the biblical perspective. Use the Bible as your authoritative source. Many of us have become believers, but we don't know the word of God. And some of these people, they know our, our Bible, and they twist it a little, and you are missing. You know, be patient and prayerful. And depend on the Holy Spirit. You have no power to convert anybody. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. It is him who brings conviction. Yours is to be a faithful child of God. In obedience, go. When they respond, you have done your bid. If they don't, you have done your bid. God is a witness. The angels of God are a witness that you went there. And when they appear before God's judgment seat, they cannot say that no one came to talk to me about Jesus. Let me use the remaining minutes to just talk about Islam. For Muslims, we seem to have certain similarities. So at best, I would say that we have, you know, superficial similarities, but we have grave differences. The cleavages of our differences are so wide, but on the surface, they look the same. Why do I say that? There are certain things that we believe in which they believe in. And let me highlight a few of them. First, they also belong to the Abrahamic faith. Right? Judaism, Christianity, they share the same faith with us. But most importantly, we also originate from the same, we have the same ancestry. That is Abraham. Ishmael is from Abraham. Isaac is from Abraham. And they were both, God promised that they will all be great, except that Isaac is the son of the promise. You know? So, we share those things in common, but most importantly, there are certain books that we have that they also have. So, we have the, the law. They also have it. The Torah, they have it. We have the Psalms. They have the Psalms. We have the Gospel. They have the Gospel. Except that <laughs> the storylines vary a lot. Because in your Bible, Jesus does not speak as a baby in the cradle. But in the Quran, Jesus speaks in the cradle. <laughs> in your Bible, Jesus does not 
cause, he doesn't create a bird from clay and, and breathe into the bird to be, to come alive. But in the, in the, in the Quran, Jesus does that. And they acknowledge many other miracles that Jesus performs. So we have a certain kind of um, similarity there. And those could be common grounds of engagement. But then they share a certain belief which is different from ours. It looks, it comes close, but it is widely different. The first thing is that they believe in the oneness of God, that God is one. And this they call the Tawheed. Now, we believe that God is one, but he manifests himself in three persons. Now, that is a point of contention. Because Muslims will tell you, you don't have to associate partners with God. And that in itself is shek. Right? In their terminology, it's an abomination. We have holy books, they have holy books. Ours is the Bible, theirs is the Quran. But they believe that theirs is the complete and authentic book on, of God on earth. Ours has been corrupted. And the Quran is holy, you know, the way it was given and all that. So we believe in prophets, they believe in prophets. And Gabriel is also featured prominently in the Quran. His name is Jibril, Malaika Jibril. An angel is called Malaika in, in Arabic. So he features prominently there. Now for the prophets, they believe that all prophets are the same. None is above the other. And they see that Jesus, Abraham, Moses, Noah, all of them are prophets. So the, the Quran has about, I mean, they have about 120 something thousand prophets, but the most prominent, 25 of them, the Quran identifies, right? And Jesus features prominently there. They believe in predestination of good and evil. Everything that happens to you, whether good or bad, has already been predestined, right? But the most important thing is that they also believe in the day of judgment, that we all stand before the judgment throne of God and we will be judged. Except that the way God will redeem us, a story similar to the rapture, is slightly different from this as well, if you examine the Quran. But Muslims have objections to the Christian faith. And what are their objections? I will just highlight these objections, four of them. They have a, a strong objection to the Trinity. They object the deity and sonship of Christ. God cannot have a son. But if he is God, then can't he do anything? What limits him? If he can't have a son, then he ceases to be God. They also have objections to the Bible, the authenticity of our Bible. They don't believe our scriptures. He said it has been corrupted. They have tampered with it, particularly the New Testament. And they don't like Paul's writings at all. <laughs> and then the necessity of the cross and resurrection. You see, these, this list that I'm presenting to you is by no means exhaustive. In fact, we can treat each of them one after the other and how to respond to them. We wouldn't have the time to do that. We don't have that luxury. So the point is, how do you share the love of Christ with Muslims. Now remember that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the scripture says that the God of this world has done what? Has blinded the minds of people that they will not see the light of the gospel. So how do you witness? You begin at the place of prayer. You have to begin with prayer. The scriptures are very clear. He says, how can you enter a strong man's house and plunder his household? Unless you first do what? Bind the strong man. You cannot do that until you go on your knees. You need to pray. You need to pray on your knees. But most importantly, you need to make friends with Muslims. You see, when it begins at the level of friendship, I told you that it makes it less suspicious. Because there are various points of engagement. You see, sometimes people are just worried about the chaos and anarchy in our world. And you will be having a conversation with a person, or you can even decide to invite a person to watch TV with them. And certain news, you just watch the news. The news tends to be very negative, And that in itself can spare up some conversation. And there you begin to present the hope that you have as a child of God. 
you know, the hope that Christ offers. It can be, that is how you begin. It's not like, I want to share the gospel with you. Come, come to my house. No, 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 no. Opportunities present themselves anytime. But you are not, you are not even sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And those of us who are sensitive, when God prompts us, we refuse to share. What would this person think about me? You, you are thinking about yourself. What does God think of you? You always crave for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He is there. One of the first roles the Holy Spirit was given to us for is to witness. That was what Jesus said. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait until you receive what? The Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. For me, that is central. Every other thing is bonus. Miracles, it will open the way to the gospel. Miracles are supposed to open the way for the gospel to be preached. And you see that. When the man was healed at the beautiful gate, when they came, did they tell them that it is from us? said, Jesus Christ is the one who did this. And they shared the gospel with them and they believed. Consistently, they were preaching the gospel. Right? So we begin at the place of prayer, holding the strong man. But most importantly, show respect to the person and and his or her religion that you care and are interested in future dialogue. Don't shut the door for future dialogue. You understand? When you realize the person is becoming argumentative, just close the chapter. Look, I didn't intend for it to go this way. Let's have this conversation some other time. Right? Or if I have said something which has really irritated you, I'm sorry. That wasn't my intention. You know? You, you, and they are looking at your body language, your postures, your gestures, your face, all of those things witness. Because the person becomes angry and your facial expression is showing you don't care. He sees it because he's looking at your face. And he said, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You forget. I'm sorry. You know, but you know that this kind of sorry you are saying is not from your heart. He sees it from your face. So they are looking at all those things. Your body language, it puts people off. Sometimes we have the gospel, but even our presentation. And when we, our message is rejected, probably we think that Jesus said, when you go and your message is shake the dust off your feet. No, no, no. You need to also re-examine yourself, your presentation of the message. How did it go? Sometimes your, your, your body language, your presentation was bad, and that was the reason why it was rejected. Not that the message was no good. You know, you need to examine yourself. The next thing is that respond to their common objections with short, concise, and respectful answers. If you don't know, tell them, I don't know. There's a question that Muslim asked me. He said, Jesus said that just like the sign of Jonah, that Jonah was uh, swallowed in the belly of, of, of the fish for three days. So he will also be in the tomb for three days. And he was telling me that it wasn't exactly three days. So that wasn't the, 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 the prophecy. What Jesus said was not true. At that time, I had not done enough study on it. So I simply acknowledged that I still hold the firm belief that it is three days. But I need to do further studies on what he's saying because I've not really and that was first it, it came like a surprise I was just engaging with him and then he, he popped that up you know if I've not done the study just is a, a sign of humility because when you lie and he has done the hard work he knows that you have lied and you have destroyed your witness every other thing he doubts because you have lied so sometimes they know they have done the hard work and so just by humility I will need to find, and this is where future engagement or future dialogue is necessary. I will do my research. This one, I'm not too sure about it, and I don't want to lie to you. I'm sorry. Let me find out, and then let's talk about this once again. Then you go and do your hard work and come back. Don't run away. Because most of times they're expecting that we will shy away from the questions they ask. No, 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 no. Don't run away. You see, your goal should not be to win the argument, but to gain a friend and a hearing for the gospel. Some of us, we want to win the argument. We want to prove that we know theology. It will theologize you indeed. (laughs) You know, you will live with a bunch of your theology and you have not made any meaningful impact. 
you have not. You have not. Use the Quran to gain attention and respect, but don't use it as the word of God. If you know some verses in the Quran, you can point it out. And normally what I do is to look at the verses. So if you take Surah chapter 9, it talks about the birth of Jesus and all that. Because that whole chapter is titled Mary. That is the chapter of the, that whole book, Mary. So that is where you find the issues of Jesus and all that. His birth and what have you. And then Surah chapter 3 also does a lot of justice to his divinity. And you, you will find a lot of contradictions. Right? But what I do is that I pick the passages that point to Christ. Because my, my, my ultimate goal is to point to Christ. So that is what I'm seeking. Any answer I give, I'm trying to shift it to the person of who? Of Christ. I'm not there to win arguments. I'm there to commend Christ to you. So that is my goal. Learn to recite a few verses of the Quran in Arabic if you can. It is not by force. If you don't know, don't force it. Right? Because if you say one that is not correct, you are in trouble. Right? But then, make sure the verses that you quote are relevant to the subject under discussion. Right? Yes, make sure the verses that you quote. But if you don't know, just use your Bible. Now, there are a few things we don't have to do. Don't compromise the truth. Jesus is the Son of God. Don't say he is not just because you want to impress. Be faithful to the truth. You don't have the power to convert anyone, my dear brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. It is Jesus Christ who would do that. He's already at work revealing himself to them, bringing conviction in their heart. Yours is to be a faithful messenger of the Look at the Ethiopian Enoch. He was just reading the passage. The Spirit of God says that move to, the, to this chariot and listen to what this man is, is reading. And when he has heard what he was saying, he said, do you understand this? And when it was explained to him, it was clear. He said, what prevents me from being baptized? Is there not water? And he, he, he accepted the faith. So, don't compromise the truth. Don't begin by saying something that will offend and provoke an argument. No, don't do that. Don't use the Quran if you are not well versed in it. Don't feel compelled to give an answer. Like I said, if you don't know, I don't know. Let me go and find out. It is, it is very important, right? Now, Muslims make a lot of claims that they have not really, they hold a lot of assumptions. And sometimes we Christians feel we always have to give an answer. No, he says the Bible is corrupted. It's not authentic. Demand for evidence. He is the one, he who alleges must, must do what? Must prove. So you demand for evidence. Why do you say the Bible is corrupted? On what basis? So you begin to push you see that the contradictions begin to show and then you point it out. You point, if the person is open-minded, you will see that they will admit that, no, 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 I was wrong here. And someone had made this claim and I pushed her to provide evidence consistently. I told her, look, you are also a, a student like me and you are making something. I'm surprised that you are just making it but you, don't have, you, don't, you are not backing it by evidence. So I kept pushing her and she said, I will have to go and consult my teachers. She doesn't know, so she has been told. But she herself has not taken the pain to find out. You see? So you need to push for evidence. Show that you are interested in the truth and not your ego. Because sometimes they will bruise your ego, really. But just, you are interested in the truth. And it has to be shown by the way you, you, you conduct yourself. So if we're talking about sharing or expressing love, brotherly love, as far as witnessing is concerned, you need to make yourself nothing, you know, just so you will win some for Christ because you will not be treated fairly. But the most important thing is that your life is the most powerful gospel you will ever preach to anyone. People are watching us. If we claim to love, it should show. 
And when we have gone out there, remember that we meet both their physical and spiritual need. When you meet someone who is hungry, feed him before you share the gospel, if you can. As much as possible. And as many people as come your way, you never know. Scriptures say that some have entertained who? Angels by showing kindness to others. You never know. That might be your angel. You never know. I pray that this thing will not be a cliche or just just a theme for a youth week celebration. Because when you read the entire Hebrews passage, you use Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1. If you read the entire passage, it actually talks about the divinity of Christ. It elevates him. And it gives us examples of people who have labored in the faith. And yet the Bible does not say that we should look at them as our examples. But it says that we should look at who? Jesus. And having said we should look at Jesus, he goes on to admonish us that we should continue in what? Brotherly love. Continue in that light. I pray that will be our motivation. I pray that we will see things from Jesus' perspective. I pray that when we say love, it will not be a cliche. We live it. It is the air that we breathe. It is the perfume that people smell around us. Like when you pass, love, oh, it's nice. That should be the people that we, we ought to be. That the beauty of Jesus will be seen in us. Let us pray. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wondrous compassion and purity. O thou, o, o thou spirit divine. All my nature refined to the beauty of Jesus be seen. O thou, o, o thou spirit divine, O Nature refined to the beauty of Jesus be seen. And so, Heavenly Father, this is our heart desire. That wherever we go, oh God, when they see us, they see you. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you will pour your heart, your love in our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let it overflow in the name of Jesus. Let love overflow in the name of Jesus. Let love overflow in the name of Jesus. May you deal with our individual prejudices. May you deal with our prejudices as a church. Things that are a barrier to the advancement of the gospel. Things, things that prevent people from coming close to you. Lord, we are sorry. In many ways that we have been selfish and self-centered. Not bothered to reach out to others with the message of the gospel. How, O oh God, through our actions, many have been turned away from faith. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. And let your love be shared in our heart. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This is a hard desire. That your beauty will indeed be seen in us. That all who encounter us would see that indeed we have been with Jesus. And he lives and dwells in us. We thank you, Lord, for this living hope that you have given us, which is far precious than anything that man can offer. A precious hope that cannot be purchased by gold or silver, but by the precious blood of the lamb that was slain on Calvary. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' matchless name. Amen.